Hello, and welcome to Writing Matters, a podcast on books and writing brought to you by the Writing University and the Department of English at the University of Iowa. I'm Blaine Gretemann, Professor of English and Chair of that department. Our guest today is Lauren Haldeman, a poet, artist, and author of four books. And she's the perfect debut guest for this podcast because her day job is doing web development, editing, and being an all-around technical whiz for the Writing University. We're talking about our most recent book, Team Photograph, published by Saraband Books, which a review in the Los Angeles Review of Books described as a courageous, experimental graphic memoir. We talk about the education that prepared her to write the book, the losses that made it necessary, and the nuts and bolts of composing and publishing a book that doesn't quite look like anything else on the market. Enjoy. Your publisher describes this as a graphic novel. And I don't know if I would describe it exactly as a graphic novel. I, I would describe it, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's got elements of graphic novel, poetry, it's got archival work, it's part sort of memoir. Yeah. So how did you describe it when you took it to them? Or how do you describe it when you're out doing readings of, of the book? I would have to, when I was taking it to publishers... I was sort of writing out, like, instead of saying this is a book of, I was, I sort of described the book. Like, there are sections of poetry, and then there are sections of graphic novel, graphic memoir, and they, like, weave together. And this was, I because I couldn't find, like, a word or a label, you're right, that would fit it. You know, it turned, it turns out that there aren't, a lot of books like this. And so when I was trying to find it a home, it was a little hard just because it was, uh, I think it was hard for me to describe it and for publishers to like see fully what it was, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I didn't expect when I made it. Uh, I wasn't even thinking in terms of that, like, you know, if there's would be other comps or if there'd be other, you know, what genre it was. And then as soon as I went out and tried to find a home for it, I was like, oh, wait, right. This is weird. Yeah. Yeah. So comps, that's a term, you know, I always, when I'm teaching an editing class or something, my students, I, I talk to them a lot about comps. And so for people who aren't publishing already, it might be unfamiliar, but that's the idea that you go to a publisher and you say, you try to find a couple books on Oprah's book club, right. basically, and like, say it's yeah, like yeah. Rachel Yoder's like book exactly. right now is is really big, and it's so you could say like oh it's in the you know same realm as Night Bitch, or it's in the same realm as Prep, or it's in the yeah. same, and that way like a publisher, and then also knows where the market is, like um, what how how it could sell and where it would sell that sort of thing. Night Bitch is a really good example, actually, because all of a sudden I've definitely noticed that there is a sort of genre of yeah. these of these sort of interesting, sort of sometimes slightly dystopic books on on motherhood. Yeah. you know that yeah. are that are popping up everywhere. The the School for Good Mothers is one that I just read. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, that's so so those are comps. So I don't know. As you were having that discussion, did you just sort of put together like? Like, this is a mashup between this book and that book? Is I, that how you proposed I did. I used that word mashup a lot. I used the word hybrid a lot. And then again, just sort of actually explaining what the structure of the book without labeling it. And trying to, when I tried to think of comps, I could only think of like actual full graphic novels mm-hmm. or actual full collections of poetry. So that was hard. What were some of the ones that you used then? Some of the graphic novels and full collections of poetry. I mean, in some ways, I guess I'm asking you which ones are sort of inspirational right. or, or or important to you yeah. as a writer, or so, especially as you were writing this. Chris Ware is absolutely my favorite graphic novelist. Um, I've been reading him since I was, you know, like an undergrad here. And what I think he's doing is i mean not only is like the artwork impeccable but the way that it like moves across the page and the way that he uses like space as a a pause and that sort of thing and so um 
but you can't really say Chris Ware because I mean, his his collection of work is huge, and it's not really what's going on with this. And so I would also say like Alison Bechtel, like Fun Home, point to that, saying, okay, she's doing a really interesting and exciting thing here where she's take it is a memoir but it's been illustrated but it's a really well written memoir you know which i appreciate in graphic novels but again it was a it from front to back it's a graphic novel there are no sections of any other type of you know writing yeah i mean you even have sections i just kind of randomly opened up a page of what i would describe as you know found or archival material yeah. that you're incorporating. So there's this really interesting kind of research base yeah. to it that, that I thought was really cool. And um, I mean, the question about books that you read or that were important or that you used as comps was kind of getting one step ahead of another question I wanted to ask, which is about the kind of education <laughs> that brought you to writing a, a book like this. You already mentioned that you, you were a student yes. here at Iowa. So I guess, I mean, over the course of a couple of questions, I'm really curious sort of what kind of classes huh, prepared okay. you in the long trajectory of your career to do this right. kind of work. And, and then we can get into sort of other kinds of experiences and readings that might have prepared you. But go, going back to being a student, yeah, I'm really curious about that. This is a good question. So I went to school uh, for high school. And then um, found out about the University of Iowa sort of hap by happenstance. I, I had wanted to, f I've always been interested in writing and art. So like even in high school, I was like obsessed with William Blake. So Blake is doing similar stuff where he's taking a poem and he's illustrating it. Yeah. And so the poem gets, in Blake's case, oftentimes much creepier when you see the illustrations. Yeah. His his work is sort of like a fever dream, you know. Yeah. But um, and you can't separate the text in any way you from can't. the. I mean, you can study his poems as a poem, but they're really meant to be looked at as those prints, you know. And so I was asking around, saying, "I'd like to go to a place. I'd like to go to a school where, you know, they have a really good writing program, but they also have a really good like art or printmaking program." Because at the time, again, Blank is doing prints. And uh, I was enrolled at Syracuse, actually, and was driving up there to, like, register to, for classes with this, with my friend and her dad, and we got in a car crash. And I remember thinking, like, is this a sign? And I had, the week before, uh, the U.S. News and World Report, and the t number one on the list for writing schools was this University of Iowa. And then, and I was like, well, that's weird. I've never heard of that place. And the number one on the list of printmaking programs was University of Iowa. And that really freaked me out because I thought, whoa, wait a second. And I looked up University of Iowa and back then it was like the slowest internet. So like the mm -hmm. old capital, like loaded line by line. And I mean, even before the page was loaded, I was like, I'm going here. Like, this is where I'm going. So I made the bi a big switch to, to come out here no idea how far away it was <laughs> from <laughs> from dc from the east coast no 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 clue really like where it was but um and when i got here like even my freshman year i was taking poetry classes and epb like from paul deal mm -hmm. um i was taking poetry classes poetry writing classes from writers who were graduate students at the time like robin schiff mm -hmm was my teacher Dan Beachy quick was a teacher of mine um it was just like a a treasure a treasure trove mm -hmm. um and the town itself so as much as the classes were you know I took a class um and now I'm going to forget the word for what it's called when you write a poem from a piece of art Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, a full class on just that. So we're looking, you know, at like Francis Bacon and Jory Graham. And um, so all this stuff that I didn't really know was possible before. Um, and then I, you know, after I graduated, I, I went to the workshop and then I got a job here. And a lot of the research in this book, this particular book, came from, we were trying to put together massive open online courses 
to for to facilitate people using the Whitman Archive here. Mm -hmm. So it's massive. I remember that, that that project. Yep, yeah, Chris Merrill, Ed Folsom, and so I was on the back end of that, just just taking images and making sure that they were you know loading correctly and. But I started seeing some of those images of the archives and started reading some of the images and, you know, the transcriptions. And it was it was right at the beginning of me really trying to think about what this book was going to be. And that mm. that really set me on a research based path. I mean, at the time, like Citizen had just come out, mm -hmm. ranking, and so I was like, fascinated by what she was doing in that book with research she was taking i mean it sh at points she's taking like transcripts from like news reports mm -hmm. the news news shows and and using them i mean i love that kind of stuff i love it mm -hmm. because i do think the world is full of poetry yeah i i do too and i just there's something about being in an archive that i mean this you're you know, you've got this, the book is about ghosts and about yeah. hauntings. And there's something about being in an archive. I've never been good at articulating the the sort of thrill of, of working in an archive, yeah. like what it is. But there's something about having these sort of glimpses into people's lives and sometimes into elements of people's lives that were not fashioned for you to see. Right. You know, in the, in the, whether it's a kind of first draft of a, of a poem or a letter or whatever it is. I've always just found it one of the most interesting things about working in a university and working in literature. And so that's... Yeah. The, when I... One of the... This paragraph out of the Whitman archives. So this is not... This has never been published as Whitman's writing, mm -hmm. you know? It hasn't been... It's not... It's a, it's a journal entry. But like you were just saying, it completely changed my view of Whitman because can I just read yeah, it? Yeah, go okay. for it. And it was this paragraph that, yeah, launched a whole half of this book. Seen in the woods on the peninsula told me by Milton Roberts, Ward G, Maine. After the battle of White Oaks Church on the retreat, the march at night, the scene between 12 and two o'clock that night at the church in the woods, the hospital show at night, the wounded brought in previous, the silent, stealthy march through the woods, at times stumbling over the bodies of dead men in the road. There had been terrible fighting there. And it just ends. Mm. And uh, his journals as a volunteer nurse at that time are, are haunting. Because, yeah. I mean, he's not, there's no, I don't see him putting any artistic spin on mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. So when you start reading them, I mean... It's the, here's one that day only closing at dark we retreating the artillery horses feet muffled orders that men should tread lightly and only speak in whispers then between midnight and one o'clock we halted to rest a couple of hours at an opening in the woods in this opening was a pretty good sized old church used impromptu for a hospital for the wounded of the just I don't know why I Maybe no one else finds this creepy, but the broken language and the... I think, yeah, I don't know what it is either. It's partly that, you know, you love somebody like Whitman for the work that he does that is shaped and presented to you yeah. and has captured you in some ways. But to get a kind of more raw glimpse of that mind yeah. is is something that I think really... I don't know, it's just inherently humanly interesting is, is part of it. And right. And part of it is, I think, if you're a writer, yeah, it it's interesting to see how other writers think, and and yeah. and to see you know what has shaped them and and formed them. I'm impressed that you had the self awareness because it, it seems like you put your finger on exactly the thing that I always find really wonderful about the University of Iowa. Like we do, you know, we have this amazing printmaking program. We have the Center for the Book, which mm -hmm. is this place where bookmaking and printmaking is coming together in this interesting way. And then we have, you know, the obvious strengths in writing mm -hmm. that are here. Um, I don't think, I was so undirected personally at sort of 18 when I was going away to college, I wouldn't have been able to put things together. I basically went to the closest university, you know, that I could yeah. find. 
how how did you have the and you 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 say you were already really interested in Blake and you identified you wanted to do to I mean that seems yeah I precocious know. to me I know right <laughs> I don't I don't know I mean I had a really good English teacher in eleventh grade so I played a lot of soccer which this book is about and and it was a really competitive soccer in Northern Virginia and so you know as as I played and got I was moving higher and higher up these realms of the soccer world and Olympic development and all of that stuff. Um, There's another part of me that, I mean, must have been the writer and the artist in there that, that had always been there since I was a kid, but just, you know, I started becoming disillusioned with soccer um, and I started not really seeing a future for me with it. it one, because I don't have a competitive personality. I have an extremely collaborative personality. Mm. And so playing soccer at high levels um, when you're like 14, 15, 16, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't help to not have a competitive yeah. personality. Um, and then I had sort of a freak accident happen where I lost my PCL. I, I was on a breakaway headed towards a goalie and she slid right into my knee. It, it, it hyperextended backwards, just took out my ligament. And I mean, with that, my soccer career was done. But I would say probably up to six months or a year before that, I, w- I was trying to find a way out. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to, you know, because I was a weirdo. Like, I was starting to realize that I was, I wanted to be in theater. I wanted to do art. I wanted to do writing. You know, and I feel like the other girls, bless them, could also tell that I was a weirdo. So mm-hmm. I wasn't like, you know, I mean, my place in the hierarchy of like the social realm of soccer was also like very low and, and difficult. And so, um, and so when I broke my knee, um, I remember I was in this English class and I kind of went into sort of my first existential angst realm, you know, mm. um, because well, I think, too, I've gone from exercising seven days a week to not mm-hmm. at all. And what really got me out of that realm, because I remember thinking, like, oh, we're all going to die. Like, I'm going to die. And, like, it'll be, <laughs> like, it'll be a moment just like this. Like, it was like your first confrontation with a, having a, a fragile body. Yeah, yeah. a fragile body yeah. and, like, death and I'm a teenager and all this stuff. And in, and reading, you know, that English class really pulled me out of that shit. And we were reading, of course, you know, like Thoreau and Emerson and the stuff you read in high school. But we were also reading Blake and other, other getting little bits of these other writers. And so that, I, I don't know if that's what fueled my like sort of insane sense of focus, but um, it went from, Really, I mean, I really loved soccer for a long time. And it, so it, when that was taken away, I mean, I really turned all my focus over to this mm. new world. And I read a lot. It was one of the only things that made me feel better about those death thoughts, <laughs> that existential like crisis I was in, was reading. I don't know why. Um, and so, yeah, so I don't, so you're right. Most of the time, a high school junior and a high school senior doesn't, see like that their their path into the future that clearly um i think i just i think just through a series of events ended up you know and i it was hard at first too because when you're going to school in virginia and you say you want to go to school for writing like all of the all of the schools that are suggested are on the east coast mm-hmm. maybe one west coast school and i remember going to several several different people what's the best school for writing and they would you know, list off a bunch of East Coast schools. And, you know, it took a friend of mine finding that listing mm-hmm. with the University of Iowa. And it it all, it just blows my mind that yeah. they wouldn't have even, you know, and by that time, University of Iowa was pretty well known as a writing method. Well, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, <laughs> on the one hand, like the, the, the tale of the proverbial high school English teacher that turns you on to literature is, it's such a classic. Like, it's so classic, it, yeah. I mean, it's, 
it, it is also the reason that I ended up becoming an English professor, yeah. ultimately. You, you know, and it also, like you said, it's like, how many weirdo kids... I mean, for me, it was like the, you know, weirdo kid in a tiny rural yeah. place in the middle of nowhere... Also Thoreau, actually, I remember yeah, Thoreau, Thoreau being really, it's big really one. big. It's like you're 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 suddenly able to have like these deep thoughts. And yeah, you can, like, I mean even... now I know more about Thoreau, and I'm like, nah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's it's such a refuge. But on the other hand, I think, you know, I don't know that a lot of high school English teachers aren't necessarily they're not co- like college placement officers. They don't. It's, no, it's not necessarily their skill set to be up on. Like the sort yeah. of connections you were making, especially with like a print program right. and an MFA. But these were the college placement people oh, yeah. who weren't figuring it out. So, I mean, it just it just blows my mind that they weren't. I was like, it's right there. Yeah. You know, but it is. It's it's kind of Midwest over, you know, we get overlooked. So. Yeah. And there's also always just a little bit of serendipity in a career, yes. I think. Yeah. It, it was extremely serendipitous. You know, not only this university when I got here, but the town. Like, I had never, I didn't even know a town like Iowa City existed. I mean, I had grown up in the suburbs. So, like, you drove everywhere. You went to, drove to get your groceries. You drove to go get coffee. You drove, you know, I'd never been in a place where you walked and got groceries or mm-hmm. walked and got a coffee. Like, it blew my mind. Yeah. And I And I loved it. And then all the people that this town, you know, sort of attracts also was such a great and you know wonderful mix like a serendipitous mix of yeah people that I met and it is interesting just in that it's a place where you know if you're in a coffee shop and you tell somebody you're working on a novel yeah and you and you literally are just a nobody who's never published anything like People don't think that that's absurd or preposterous. They take you seriously. Yeah, they take you seriously. I, could, I mean, I couldn't believe it at first with people. You know, I'd say back in Virginia, oh, yeah, I would, you know, I'm going to school. I want to become a writer. People would be like, okay. Like, what do you mean? Are you? Yeah, like a journalist. Yeah. Or a, yeah. Or a teacher. Or and I'd be like, no, a writer. And then, yeah, you come here and just everyone around you is doing it. It's a totally different uh, vibe. And it. It really helped me to to have the confidence to keep like trying. Yeah, you know, I've never really been any other place yeah. quite like, quite like it in that in that way. I mean, just the number of readings, for example, yeah, that are readings. happening here all the time. Um, you know, and I got into like the band scene and like Gabe's and you know, like I was in a band and hanging out with all these musicians too. Like this weird overlap. Whereas if I had gone to like a really specific like writing or art school, I'm not sure I would have gotten that like kind of dirty overlap of yeah. of the rest of the ruffians, you know? Yeah, this book is all about overlaps yeah. of, of, of all of these different things. So, okay, so that's the like Lauren seeing into the future. Yeah. <laughs> sort of Were there moments when, when it became much less clear? I mean, because you did also develop all this... Like the skill set around, um, you know, the 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 web design and yeah. all that kind of computation, which which seems in some ways like a detour, although it's still drawing on your yeah your design part of your brain. But I so I, I'm just wondering if, and I know this isn't the first book that you've published either. So I'm I'm wondering if I don't know there were places where you you were feeling directed in a different way or or, or... with this book. Just in general, in terms of your career, I mean... The, the, oh, like, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it seems like you, the way you described it, you were like, okay, Blake. Here's, Blake, here, and I'm going to preach. I'm going to be Blake, I'm, but in, you know, in a, in a yeah. 21st century way of putting together, you know, graphics and, and poetry. Yeah, it was not a direct um, line. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think I've given up on writing and given up on poetry, like really given up on them probably like five or six times. So maybe once every decade, you know, twice every decade. I mean, it was not a direct line. I'm, I mean, like I, I was in this band, I was playing this accordion for this band. I was like in love with the guitarist and then like that didn't work out. And so I spent years just, you know, like in just trying to figure out, am I making music to impress this guy? Mm. And then like, it's just so embarrassing. And then I learned computers to impress him. I didn't know how to impress guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went at it 
all the wrong way. I was like, I'll learn HTML code to impress him. <laughs> and it just doesn't work that way. It turned out to be a, <laughs> like, a wrong thought. Yeah. I do think a lot of, I mean, I, it, like you said, it's sort of embarrassing to admit, but no doubt part of the reason that I ended up getting interested in writing poetry and reading poetry was to impress a girl who yeah. I'm, I'm married to oh, yay. now. So it kind of worked. You did it. Um, but, <laughs> um, but I think you can't discount those, no, <laughs> those you motivations. Can't. It's, a, it's, it's a driving force. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, we're animals. Like, we're supposed to. I mean, nature is driving us to reproduce. So all of this really is just like... <laughs> different ways to get there yeah well i mean this it, it it is interesting that because this does i mean this is a book that in some ways took a certain amount of misdirection you know to it's something that's so hi, hybrid as the form you used earlier yeah. but i mean you know you can you can see that you just couldn't have written it if you hadn't been somebody who was involved in working in the whitman archive which right. i guess you needed the html Code. I needed that. I mean, yeah. that's how I got the job, and that's how I've had this career now. I mean, I'm I'm happy for it, like that that occurred. It's it's just funny that you know, like like the the different drivers behind a sudden knowledge of death is the driver behind my love of literature, and then like the love of some dude who plays a guitar is the driver behind my entire coding career. You know, and web dev career. So it's just an odd. So it is a, a, it's a mashup. And then so when this started coming together, this book started as the the title poem team phonograph I wrote when I was 19. Hmm. So I'd been, I had broken my knee, I stopped playing soccer. And then when I got to college, all the poems I was writing were about soccer. Because, I mean, that was my full world view at the time. And uh, and I needed to sort some shit out. I yeah. mean, obviously, yeah. <laughs> like of what had happened to me, you know, what had what had the whole thing even been? Yeah. Um, I mean, being in that sort of that high level competitive arena at that at those young ages, like I would never let my daughter participate in that now. You yeah. know, but, you know, that a lot of kids, there's just like, you know, we we do we like. A little bit we push kids we exploit them so so the so the first poems were me trying to like start to understand what had happened then i put them together with a bunch of other poems and i you know you got this manuscript together and you try to send it out get your book published this book just kept missing like you know it was like a finalist here a finalist there and i didn't know what to do with it and so at one point there's a part of me that loves, like, just destruction. I mean, it's a terrifying thing to do with your own work, but I've found that it, like, it's amazing for for progress. So I just tore the book up. I, t I said, what do we want this to be? And I took the five soccer poems out of it. And I put those on the table, and I said, this is the, you know, it was sickening. Because mm -hmm. you're like, you see all the work ahead and everything that you just lost. But... I decided to start working on this as what is going on here. And that yeah. led to all the research that led to everything. I, I You're so right though, about the kind of value and destruction. I've had the same experience with one of the chapters on my book I was working on and, yeah. I, and I lost the file that my computer Ooh. crashed. I lost, I lost the file completely. Yeah. And, um, you know, you have this kind of moment of despair, but then I, I just, as I, then there's a kind of liberation where you're able yeah. to start rewriting and thinking about what the good ideas are and, and you're not so tethered. It was really important, actually. I mean, I think it helped me yeah. get rid of a kind yeah. of a, a bad chapter and because I only really remembered or had the energy to write about the really kind of the most interesting <laughs> parts of it, you know, as yeah. I was as I was recomposing, it is important sometimes. I well, don't know like, how you sort of screw up the the will to do it. Um, I think you just maybe accidentally do it a couple times and then realize like what a great tool it is. Because I mean, I've found with creative work, 
that oftentimes the things I love the most and have the most, you know, visceral connection to that I've made are the things bringing down a collection or bringing, and that's like, I mean, it really is this dance of like grief and death and rebirth. I mean, all just sitting in your bedroom or something, you know, but uh, you have to grieve though. Like all the poems that got taken out, I mean, they're still like, I love those poems. They're, they're out there somewhere. I don't think they'll ever be published. Yeah. And so I had, and I knew that. I knew once they left, I don't think these are ever going to be published. And so just sort of like grieve those and then start anew. And then the second time that I, I wrote, I did a bunch of research. I wrote a bunch of more poems about soccer. I thought it can't all be about me and, you know, my, the dynamic of my team. So I went and looked and saw, I remembered that we played near this battlefield. So then I went, researched the battlefield, Bull Run. And then that led to the Robinson House. And then that, and then at the same time, Whitman was coming into it with the work I was doing. And um, I wrote all these poems and then I sent that out. And I got a lot of comments back like, this is interesting, but I don't know what's going on here. And I realized oh shit, this project is also bigger than a collection of poetry. Because a collection of poetry doesn't generally have a narrative in mm -hmm. it. And this absolutely did. Even though the narrative hadn't fully been formed, it needed a narrative. So then I wrote tiny sections of nonfiction narrative trying to describe just first like what I was talking about with the soccer and where I grew up. And then as research kind of took over then I was describing the research process. Then suddenly I was describing the process of making the book. I mean, it was a little terrifying how out of control it got. Like it, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like the book took over and I was just sort of like its servant at, <laughs> at a time. And so, so many parts of this book were written like they were birthed out of the writing of itself which is crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of, that's the creative process. I, I know. Mean, that's, that's the thing, I mean, to come back to Whitman, you know, I've read some about his creative process and the, you know, the way he sort of surrounded with the detritus of yes. his life and he would pull up these pages and just sort of write some from them and some of that would, I mean, it, it's it's yeah. very, mysterious and it does seem like in a lot of ways you're it's out of your control but i mean that's the oldest idea about poetry i mean that's what yeah. you know that that's what that the, the term inspiration you know, right you're like a conduit you're a conduit yeah and i mean that i i feel like i've always known that i've just never been involved with a project where i was so obviously like it was almost like my hands were being moved by someone else you know and, and I was fighting against it because, I mean, I think I'm a pretty lazy person, like inherently. And this book demanded that I just keep working. And there were so many times where I was like, I don't like when I realized that the sections of nonfiction needed to be comics. Mm -hmm. I mean, that two years to draw these. Yeah, so it feels, I mean, this is one of the things I, I hate to <laughs> to bring this conversation back to Milton, but I can do it with lots of other poets too. Yeah, Milton, lots of poets they they will describe their poetic process as a kind of you know a, a burden. Yes, as something that's you know it's terrifying. There are all those moments in Paradise Lost yeah. where you get the sense that Milton is has like lost control. He has lost control. Yeah. You know, he's he's on this horse and he's a you know and it might just yeah. kill him. And I, I, I love those. It's, it's the struggle through his whole career is that he, he has this sense that if you're really going to do something lasting, which is absolutely what he feels called on to do, that it is, it is going to put you on the line in, in some ways that are outside your control and a little yes. bit terrifying. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I had, I've tried to choose an easier like I've tried, like I wish I could just, like I some, sometimes I'll take a, a break and maybe like I come home after work and I watch TV, you know, mm -hmm. or I'll uh, 
like go on Twitter or whatever, but there's always this sort of driving force that's that's making me want to create. And it in an in a way it's I mean, we have a a little bit of a what would you call it? Like com- confrontational relationship. Because a lot of times I just don't want to do it. I definitely didn't want to draw all these comics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I knew from the start, I was like, this is gonna be insane. I mean it takes a long time to draw yeah. graphic novel yeah i know sometimes people will you know talk about liking writing and i'm 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 honestly not even really sure that i do like yeah. writing it, like, it is, what are we doing i don't I, i'm a, when i'm about halfway through a project i i do always ask myself like why do you why do you do this yeah over and over again? they're least at the end i think like there's some but it is quite sickening a lot of times when you're doing it now i remember when i was you know in my early 20s where writing really felt like a wild ride and I was having a blast, but it hasn't felt like that for a while. And it's, you know, that's okay. And, I, and I've even said, like, after this book, I'm done. Done. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what, you know, I'll, I doubt I'll be able to fight it off because it, it is type of, like a type of haunting in a way too. Also, my brain does not do well without a complex project to work on it will go to, to very dark places. My brain's a problem solver, just yeah. like all of, all of ours are. And, and if I don't have a project, I'm not thinking about good things. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, I, was, I, I wanted to ask at some point about if you have a writing routine and, and what that looks like. I mean, for you, it's probably not just a writing routine because there's also the drawing. And the drawing, the, yeah. yeah. So, um, it changes. So... Um, Okay, so when I first started writing, I would write for hours and hours each day. I was in my early 20s. I was an undergrad. I didn't have anything else going on. I loved it. Um, I would write at night. I would write in the morning. I'd write during the day. Then on the workshop, at the workshop, I started needing a little bit more structure um, because I was writing here or there, but I was also, like, drinking a lot more. So... uh, I'm sober now, but you could, the problem was beginning to arise. So, um, I, so I got, so I went and got a job. Like I was like, I've got to go and get a job so that at least during the day I have some place I need to be and, um, make some money. And so the writing sort of became hit and miss. Then after I had my kid, I thought, well, it's done. Our career's over. We're a mom now, you know, um, it, it's, it seemed like a very true statement that it was over. But I kept writing and I would write. I had this book. It was about the size of a passport. I had these little books about the size of a passport. And each each page was a was a date. So I would just write. At the end of the day, after I got my baby to sleep, I would write a single page. So it took me less, sometimes less than a minute. Mm-hmm. But I kept doing it. And after about a year... I mean, you keep doing that for a year and you've got yourself a poetry collection. Mm-hmm. You know, I I took all of those. I figured out which parts were the best. I highlighted it. Love doing that kind of stuff, like sifting through. And then I created and then I created poems from that and put those together. And that became my first book. So that was out of nowhere. So that was almost like an auto. It was, yeah. It was like a kind of weird autobiography yeah. of being a mom and uh just how weird like it is to make a human being and you weren't even necessarily purposefully writing it as a book at first i wasn't i thought my i thought my career was over i think that's what made it so um special was that i wasn't putting any pressure on myself Mm -hmm. came out wasn't at all skewed by what i thought people might like or not like i was just i just knew i needed to keep writing um to keep saying so i'm the and then my brother died, and writing became another thing. Writing became a way to deal with grief. So I was writing these poems about, you know, imagining what his life would have been like if he hadn't have died. And those, and that became like a process that I, and that was a sickening t- time of writing, but there were big, I, I think I got um, a big sense of relief from that. And, and I think it was part of my grieving process. Now, so this book was its own 
where some days I thought I need to work on the writing, other days I thought I need to draw. I had checklists, all sorts of checklists of which which panel, what page, which section, what what poem, what what drawing, and would just you know mark them off, mark them off, mark them off to get it done. And uh, now I am back to trying to write um, a small page each night. Um, it doesn't feel like a lot, but if you do it every night, it builds up. Mm -hmm. And what I like about that one, that style of writing, is that you're not too intimidated to start. So I'll, I will not want to do it, but then my brain will say, yeah, but it's just, it's just a small page. And you don't even have to finish the page. There have been nights where I've let myself just write one sentence, but I think that's important because that means that the next night, you know, you're you're not letting the 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 process of it intimidate you, you know. Yeah. And so that's what I've been doing recently, and who who knows what that will become. Yeah, that process does change at different stages. Yeah. In in your life, I've always been a little bit. Hear people talk about how they have like a writing like for John McPhee talk about his writing oh my God, routine it's don't. so regular and it, it, John yeah. McPhee don't <laughs> don't use him as a good example it's it's like it's it's almost inhuman you know this But actually I mean I learned a lot from John McPhee talking about that routine he was at the Engler like several years ago and he sets a timer I remember that talk you, yeah. yeah okay yeah. and do you remember he said that when the timer goes off he doesn't even finish the word Yeah and I thought he just lifts the he just lifts the pen or lifts his hand and he stops writing. And I thought, a timer. Like, I love that. Because, yeah. I mean, then in a way a timer becomes an authority figure that's not you. And then your brain, you know, our brain, like I feel like my brain is always fighting against like, well, when will it be over? And I'll be like, well, when the timer goes off. And there's something, yeah. <laughs> something yeah. about that that tricks my brain into being like, all right. You know, um, I love. I learned a, a lot from that talk. That like, is true. I mean, that that part of it, I guess, I did but take it, something from, and the and the idea of doing, you know, small batches, small every, batches re regularly yeah. every day. I have to have a project. I, I actually yeah. have to be motivated and be writing toward a a book project, usually to hold myself accountable I have, a, I have a much harder time doing what you're describing actually which is just sitting down and writing yeah the, for yourself even though i yeah. hear so many people talk about that as... well with poetry it's a little easier because it's like you can just write random shit um and that can eventually become a poem whereas i think sitting down and being like yeah thinking about a project which is what i'm doing right now is i have this sort of like story that i'm trying to that has been in my head for quite a while that I'm trying to create. And, uh, and, and that's, and that's nice to have that, that structure and that direction. So yeah. that's good. But I again, like, even now when I think of a writer, I picture someone at a desk for hours and I mean, that'll never be me again. Yeah. <laughs> like I just know it. I just know I'll ne it'll never, you know, and it was me at one point, like I did fulfill that, image of a writer and and but i i think it's a lie yeah yeah i think it probably is, is too <laughs> unless you're like walter scott or somebody you know yeah I mean? exactly there, there are a couple, a couple of these people who i otherwise... just don't think that's the only way you can be a writer yeah. it's not it's not the main way actually it probably isn't the main way no i i think i mean to come back to what you're talking about with iowa city i think that's part of what is pretty cool and special about it here is that you see that that's not the main way right you get to see all sorts of different patterning and you meet so many writers and they're all doing it differently and, and you and you see that um that lots of people have a like not everybody's jane smiley but a lot of people have a couple books in them you yeah, know <laughs> it is that is the weirdest thing to walk around a town and you're like oh my gosh like every 10th person is published here yeah like in in it published with like a press, oftentimes like a really good press, and and like oh my gosh, okay, well, I mean, in a way it can be intimidating if you start comparing yourself, but I've long ago given up on that, and I mean I'm just trying at this point to, to like uh, keep my brain like 
happy enough to stay alive. So yeah, it, it demystifies it a lot. Yeah, I, I think whenever you do, when you you see that yeah. style of of writing, you see people out at coffee shops and stuff. But then you also like, I'll go to a friend's house. Um, I mean, I loved going to other writers. I'd always go back and try to see in their office. People had note cards, people had post-it notes, people had, one, one woman had this giant, beautiful map. It was this gorgeous map of all the characters and all the scenes. And like the artist in me, that it just gives me chills right now talking about yeah. it. Like that, that calls to me as well. Like, and, I, and you know, I don't know if I would have ever had those experiences if I hadn't been in Iowa City. I mean, I, I imagine I would have, or, but it was like something you'd see in a movie. Mm -hmm. um, and she just had it on her wall. That was, she was a fiction writer and she just worked. I will never forget that map. I, I remember <laughs> having that experience even um, uh, shopping for houses, looking for real estate in this oh, town. Yeah. And it was funny because about every third house, somebody would have, you know, versions of their manuscript right. laid out. Right, right. you're on like, the oh my desk. God, this place is lousy with yeah. writers. Yeah. It's, it's almost too much. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, <laughs> and, it's, and like you said, to see the different, the different ways that people work, but certain kind of similarities. And, I mean, you can tell that habit and routine yeah. and the kind of physical space that writing takes up is important. I don't know, do you have a, do you have a kind of dedicated physical space? You talked a lot about working in your bedroom. Uh, yeah, I don't. So like, uh, for Team Photograph, a lot of the, the poetry was written sort of, um, like either, uh, like at, at my desk at work or I mean, I was certainly still working. <laughs> yeah. So make, just, issue, make, issue a clarification yeah, there. Yeah, clarification. Um, <laughs> but I think if you're working for the writing university I and you occasionally you write a poem, <laughs> yeah. like surely yeah, that. Yeah. Well, the, my desk at work was the only place that I could keep clean, you know, because I had this like two and three year old. I mean, she that that's the other thing about having a two and three year old is they I could do art around her and she wouldn't mind. But then if I started writing, it was like she could tell that my consciousness was not on her and she would just interrupt it all the time. I mean, I can barely write around her right now. It's, it, it's just, she was almost like a cat, like she could sense mm -hmm. my, my attention disappearing or something. Um, but so I did a lot of drawing like on the couch. I did a lot of drawing at Prairie Lights. So the writing I got done kind of up, like on, I would go up to Prairie Woods for like a weekend, which is this retreat mm. center up in Hiawatha. Or I would work, you know, I'd stay late at work and, and use my desk there because it was clean. But then the drawings, I did ton, a ton just at the bar there at uh, Prairie Lights, drinking that's, coffee. That's really interesting about the different types of focus that the two art forms yeah. seem to take no it's weird i mean i can sit next to her and she'll draw i draw maybe we'll listen to music maybe we're watching a tv show it's a totally different process that the writing it one i can't hardly listen to anything when i write and it has to be short and sweet now because it does take a lot out of me like physically it feels like but um two i just cannot sh be in the same you know, room or house with, with her. Uh, I mean, my kid, I, I think most kids have a sense, a sixth sense about their parents' attention. And uh, she could, I think she could definitely tell that writing took my, took my full attention. Yeah. Whereas uh, uh, drawing didn't. Yeah. And parents have a sense, I mean, it's, you also have a sense of your kids' needs, and I think your own attention is just so easily divided yeah. when you're around them. I mean, it was great, like, her drawing and me drawing, I was like, I'm doing both. I'm an artist and I'm a parent, <laughs> yeah. and I'm doing both okay. Uh, but, but yeah, I've uh, the other stuff I would just need to, I'd have to leave my house and completely, I've finished, so this place called Prairie Woods is like, but Hiawatha, it's just like Franciscan retreat center. It's very bare bones, but they give you meals and there's like, they give you a tiny room with a tiny desk. 
and I finished pretty much all my books up there because there's just no other way I was I needed I needed like mornings all the way to nights to be able to mm-hmm. do it which you're not going to get as a parent um and I needed to be able to like sleep and wake up and then sleep and wake up again like yeah. you know in order to get these books done but that was how I would do it yeah there's something about that kind of monastic I used to I wrote my first book mostly over in uh, in the University of Iowa Library. There's these oh, yeah. carols, these these I love little, those and they they're they're like monk. I used to describe it as like a, a monk cell so because barren. it's just bare yep. cinder block walls, and it was the and, and they're tiny, yeah. and it was the perfect place for me to go work and and. Um, Maybe it's maybe it's tapping into that sort of you know sense of religious fervor that right. you were talking about earlier, um, but, but uh, yeah, there's something about that, that 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 kind of focused attention that it requires that sometimes does seem to take that. It does, and it's particular. you know for me that's painful. Like I, like I don't like doing that. I don't want to turn off my phone. I don't want to yeah. turn off the music or the TV. But yeah. I mean, and it, I remember up, up at Prairie Woods for the first, for the second book when I was writing about Ryan, and I hadn't really, I had, I had thought I grieved and everything, like I, you know, we had done the funeral and I was going to grief therapy or whatever, and it was probably like six months in after he died, and I got up there and I put all my stuff down, and you're just, you know, there's no one really there. The nuns are in like a house, but. And I just lost it, and I was like, oh, okay, I've been keeping myself pretty busy, like, you don't want, and and it's the same with writing, like, writing is that, like, that crack in the, in the facade, mm-hmm. it's that opening where you start to feel stuff that you don't want to feel, you know, and, uh, I mean, in that way, it's extremely powerful, but I can see why all of us don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Especially not all the time. <laughs> not all the time. I mean, uh, well, when I was in my 20s, I was like, yeah, let's feel all the time. Let's feel all the feelings. But I don't, yeah. you know, my I'm, my body's older now. I can't take all those feelings. There's something about a kind of, I mean, you've talked a lot about writing being painful. And I mean, you look back at like the Whitman stuff as well that you're talking about pulling from the archives. I mean, there there is just a lot of pain there and there are a lot of intense feelings. And this is something that's, I mean, it's hard to tell or think about with, with younger students too. But sometimes I do think you just need an accumulation of experience that you you don't necessarily have at 20 or 21. Yeah, you don't. There's, there's more that you have to go through in some ways to to form a self yeah. that then really demands to be unpacked in the way you're unpacking in, in this kind of writing. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I do think that I was writing, I wasn't writing crap, but what, like, I did write, like, I, I was trying to sort through what had happened with soccer, but there, but, you know, you run out, you run, like, you're you're right. You kind of run out of that. You run out of life experiences pretty quick. And then from there, I was I was just sort of writing like just a lot of like imaginary poems or poems based on thoughts, based on ideas, or or based on prompts. Yeah. I mean, it's not. I wouldn't say. I would trade all these books to not have had what has happened in my life. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's a fair trade to like yeah. lose Ryan and then, but I get, you know, these three books out of it or something. I don't like, I don't even care how many books, like I'd always pick Ryan, but but it, it, do, it does happen. Like stuff just starts happening and it's it's not only is that like fodder for the work, but the work ends up being a tool to like, figure out how to deal with all the stuff. I think that's right because like you said, you you wouldn't trade it, but also profound loss is just a fact of everyone's yeah, life sooner common. or later and you know the gift of writing is that it does give you a way to to to, to process and to turn that into something other than just yeah. other than just loss. I mean whether you're writing a book or you're writing 
a eulogy. Right. Y you know, I, I think or that's part, yeah, that's part of the reason that people feel so compelled and, and called on to, to, pro to process it in language that is shaped. Yeah. I mean, language is just a processing system. That's, that's the thing. You're just putting it through a processor. And that helps because otherwise it's so undefined and wild inside of you, you know, these, all of this being alive, all of this like living. So. Well, to come back to the loss, I, I'm interested since you've yeah. already talked about your, your, your brother, uh, yes. because I noticed, you know, in the note that you have here, because this book is not explicitly about that. Like you said, that's more the previous yeah, book where you were really engaging and, and processing. But then, you know, you have the note here about how you started drawing people as wolves yeah. at, 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 in, in the wake of that loss. And so it is also still here. It is. In, yeah. in, in that way and in, and in other ways, too. And... Um, I don't know, this is not a very well-articulated question, but I'm, I guess I'm curious about how that's working and how it's different in a book that's, you're not, you're not diving directly into it as a kind of you know, topic or main focus of the book, but it's still, you know, pro processing grief and that event, but it's still clearly everywhere in the book. Yeah, I mean, it was everywhere, but so, his appearance in this book surprised me mm -hmm. because he, he he sort of came out of an erasure poem that, and I was not expecting it. And then I, you know, and then I realized, oh, okay, Ryan's part of the book. Like, I didn't mean to, you know, I feel like I have these other books that have, are for him, but he can also be part of this book. When I was uh, researching it, so Ryan died then maybe two years later I started really researching this and I was and then my dad died like two years after that and I had to go home to Virginia to help well first to be with him while he died he died at the house and then to help my mom like clean up and pack up the house because she needed to move and uh so me and my daughter spent about four weeks in Virginia you know, watching my dad die, and then sort of weirdly cleaning out this old house. And they hadn't touched Ryan's room. Mm -hmm. So it was like a double layer of, like I had to go through Ryan's stuff as well as like sorting through my dad's stuff. It was, it was weird. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time I was going to Bull Run a lot because Bull Run was 20 minutes away. And I have this idea for this book in mind. And so when I'm so when I'm doing all the research, I'm in this cloud of all of these deaths. Mm -hmm. Which I think helped to like connect me to some some of the Whitman journals and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Like, yeah, I know now. Mm -hmm. You know, if I, I feel like if I had read them in my twenties before I had experienced that much death, it would have been a different understanding. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, oh I know. Yeah. 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 I know that feeling. And so, um, you know, there's so many things that were left out of this book. Like, there was so many other stories happening at the same time. But there's only, I could only, I realized I had to focus. And I had to, I could only tell what, this ends up being like five stories. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the, the, the book could have been like four times as long. But there was just too many strings. But, you know, this was all still happening. And I, I try to mention it in pages of what's going on in my life while I'm researching it. And, uh, and, and, but it's, but it's really hard to, it would have been really hard to fully, maybe there'll be another book that explains this yeah. book. Well, it is a lifetime process it when is. you're, when you're a, a writer. And I don't think those stories are, complete just you know when you when you hand in the, the the book it definitely felt to me like I like I like my books and collections and I, I kind of like it to be neat it's like a weird thing where I just want it to be like neat and well packaged and so there were so many times where I was like nope we can't go that way because we just we're getting it's spiraling out of control 
And that was another type of sadness to have to cut off a bunch of those. Yeah. Like, in, and I think the note at the end is a little bit like that, where I feel like I'm tacking on another. It's like, oh, and also think about this. <laughs> it's like, but they, you know, a lot of people ask me, why do they have wolf heads? Yeah. And so I wrote back, like Edward Carey was like, I want to know about the wolf heads. And I wrote him basically this. And uh, he said, this should go in the book, uh, this explanation. And I was like, okay. So I cleaned it up a little bit. And <laughs> put it in the book. Well, I, I really love the book. And, it, it, you know, it was, for for all the reasons I said, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's I, I love it as poetry. I love it as graphic novel, which is a form of just, you know, I really as a teacher come to appreciate yes. so much and as a parent yes, actually as a parent, for sure. um and then you know as as a book that's just you know delving into the archives and thinking about history i think it, i i really really like it in those ways too so i you know the the hybridity that, that you've been talking about is is really something that i i just really admire about it and i'm not surprised to hear that it that there were a lot of different threads that had to come together to yeah. know, enable you to write it a lot of different form it took a lot of different forms it was baking for a while yeah uh, but i think this is i i felt like this is okay we've gotten to a final form here yeah it's not asking anything more of me thank you so much for joining me for this discussion with lauren haldeman and thanks to lauren for being willing to be first It meant we were still working out some audio bugs, but I hope you enjoyed the conversation and will look for her latest work, Team Photograph, which is available, as they say, wherever good books are sold.